Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And basically what it comes down to is if you believe there are many roads, well, you're wrong. You need to readjust that thinking. If you believe there are many Christ, again, you're wrong. When people say, and they do, and Jesus said they would, I am the Christ, what do we say to them? we push on through the first chapter of Matthew, we see that it was not just Jesus' ancestry that gave us irrefutable evidence of his deity, but the nature of his birth proves this as well. Today, Pastor Sam starts in the 18th verse of Matthew 1 with his message entitled, A Miraculous Birth. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, the story of our Lord and Savior's birth, the story of Jesus. When people say, and they do, and Jesus said they would, I am the Christ, what do we say to them? What do you say to them? Are you kidding? You're the Christ? Really? When people say, and they do, and Jesus said they would, I am God, as Shirley MacLaine and others have gone out on a limb to say. Wasn't that the title of her book, or was that out of her tree or something like that, I don't know, (laughs) out on a limb or whatever it was, I am God. No, you're not, God shouts from heaven, but surely doesn't hear, see. When people say, I believe there are many Christs or many ways or many roads, as they do and as Jesus said they would, what do you have to say in return? Well, There are at least nine things in our introduction. Now, don't worry, the introduction will be more than half the study. But nine things in our introduction, well, that you could say to them. In fact, it's important to know prophetically that if someone claims to be the Christ, the Savior, or God, or any of those things, they need to meet all of these requirements. From the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, he says it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So when someone says to you, as Jesus said they would, hey, I'm the Christ, say, well, are you a son of David? And can you trace your genealogy back to David? Because if not, how are you proving that you are the Christ? When someone comes, as they will, and as Jesus said they would, saying, I am God, or I am the Christ, I am the Savior, well, can you trace your genealogy back to Abraham? Because Jesus can, and did, and does. In fact, Matthew records it for us. And we're not going to take the time to read it today, but I want you to know that's why the genealogy is here. So that we could know that, hey, Jesus at least meets these two of the many qualifications to say he is, in fact, the true and living witness. He is the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, our Lord. He is the son of David. Now, if you're brand new to this study of the scriptures and you open the Gospel of Matthew and You immediately see it's a genealogy. That's troubling. But it says right off, you know, Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And you're going to think, well, how did he pull that off? 
son of David and of Abraham? I mean, how does that work? Well, it works because the word son actually means descendant of. And that's all this is saying. He is the offspring, the descendant of Israel's greatest king, King David. That is, of course, until Jesus comes on the scene. Why is he greater? He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He will establish a kingdom and rule and reign forever and ever. He is the son of Abraham or descendant of Abraham. He is the father of the faith, Abraham, that is. And it was promised to him that through his seed, all nations would be blessed. So when someone comes, and it happens to me, believe it or not, I've met a lot of interesting people. I had somebody show up and tell me they were Elijah. Had somebody come and say they were John the Baptist. Had another guy come and say, well, I think I'm Elijah, or I might be John the Baptist. And I'm like, well, I know you're not Elijah, because he's been coming for a few weeks already. And... uh <laughs> But people say this kind of stuff to me, you see. And when they do, I'm just like, well, you know, I just want you to explain to me how all nations are being blessed through you, you see. Because Abraham's descendant, Abraham's heir, Jesus, is in fact a blessing to all nations. A hope for all nations. He's not only the son of David and the son of Abraham, Jesus is the son of God And the Christmas story makes that oh so clear. We read in verse 18, the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. A little further down, you read in verse 23, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. We'll come back to those, but get this. The scripture declares that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. John's Gospel, of course, tells us that Jesus existed, pre-existed his birth there in Bethlehem. He's the only one who ever had this kind of experience. He was already alive, already aware, already conscious, already in fellowship with the Father prior to coming to earth and this birth. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, lest we be confused, of John 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. How did the Word become flesh? Well, that's what the Christmas story is all about. The virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus he is not only the uniquely or only begotten Son of God, He is the only one to accurately reflect and radiate the glory of God. Hebrews 1 tells us He is the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person. So much so that Moses requests to see God and Philip's desire to, to, to see the Father. Hey, it's all wrapped up in that revelation of Jesus coming and, and living among us and, and dying for us. We beheld his glory. So, Jesus is not only son of David, son of Abraham, son of God. He is identified for us and to us as the Christ. In fact, over and over in this first chapter and then again in the second 
Jesus is called the Christ. There in verse 16, Jesus who is called Christ. The latter part of verse 17, the Christ. And then we find again down in chapter 2, verse 4, when they gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now the Christ means anointed one, or the Messiah, the promised Savior. And you need to know the Jews were expecting a Savior. Hebrews 11 tells us that men died in faith. They died believing God would be faithful to his promise to David to raise up one to sit on his throne. Be faithful to his promise to Abraham to provide a seed through whom all nations would be blessed. That there would be one who would be the son of the true and living God. And he is called for us the Christ. Now John again, and I spend a lot of time in John's gospel. I have to admit, as much as I love Matthew and Mark and Luke, I just, there's something about John that continually draws me back. And he identifies Jesus not only as the Christ, and that word the is emphatic, you see. He's not saying he's a Christ, as some would say, but no, he is the Christ. But John says more than that, he is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light of the world. He is the resurrection and the life. And basically what it comes down to is if you believe there are many roads, well, you're wrong. You need to readjust that thinking. If you believe there are many Christ, again, you're wrong. You need to readjust according to what the scripture say about Jesus. So Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, son of God, the Christ... And then down in verse 21, and we're going to read all this in its context eventually, but they say, the angel speaking to Mary and, 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 and to Joseph, but really both uh, get the news, uh, here to Joseph, it says, you will bring forth, or she will bring forth the son, that would work out better, wouldn't it? And you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Call him Jesus. It's literally Joshua, or as they would have pronounced it, Yahshua. And you have to know that in the first century, when Jesus was born there in Bethlehem, for someone to go through the street saying, hey, Joshua was born, they'd say, so what? There are Joshua's on every corner. It was a very common name. But there's only one Joshua, only one Yahshua that can save us from our sins. See, that's what separates this Jesus, this Joshua, this Yahshua from others with the same name. This Jesus came to suffer and die for our sins. His very name translates out Yahweh is salvation. Yahshua, Yahweh is salvation. We're also told down in verse 21, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Emmanuel, God in human form, God with us. The early church fathers had it right. Fully God and fully man. That can never be said of anyone else. It will never even be said of 
any other part of the Godhead. In Jesus dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, we're told. But the Father never became a man, nor did the Spirit ever become a man. Only the Son, Jesus, was fully man and yet still fully God. They never actually used Emmanuel as a proper name or title for Jesus. It's what it signifies, what it points us to that really matters. Emmanuel means God with us. So Jesus, as I've already shared, would say to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, son of God, the Christ, Jesus, Emmanuel. Then we're told he is the king of the Jews. Verse 2 of chapter 2. We have seen his star in the east. Where is he who is born been who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. The king of the Jews. Now, we know Jesus to be much more than that. The Bible declares he is the king of kings and lord of lords. He rules and reign, reigns over all. But why the king of the Jews? Well, Matthew is writing to the Jews. He's writing to Israel and he wants them to know that the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham, the Son of David, the Christ, Jesus is the King of the Jews. But the Jews, if you're familiar with the story, they had a little bit of a problem understanding how God could love anyone but them or besides them. Now, if you read their history, what's really difficult is to understand how God could love them. And that's true, of course, for us. The better we know each other, the more we're amazed that God would have chosen and is transforming and using these lives, our lives. But we get to know them because he lets us in on it. See, it's, it's a family matter. But he says, I want you to see what my family's like. And when it comes to the genealogy, it's interesting. He includes Gentiles in his genealogy. Why? Well, he wanted them to know this isn't just about you. They were to be a blessing to all nations through him. He birthed them so that he could have a living witness of his grace and mercy to a needy generation and to all the succeeding generations. But the bottom line is that, that Jesus is not only king of the Jews, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. We're also told that he is a ruler. That's the eighth of the nine things. And it's there in verse 6 of chapter 2. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That ruler has two meanings, at least two clear meanings in Scripture. The first is leader. The second is judge. Now, Jesus will later say, as recorded in John's Gospel, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That means if you belong to Jesus, when you open his word, you hear his voice. Now, I know it's hard to imagine his voice because you're listening to my voice, but it could be worse. Bob Coy, all? God said, all? That's like Bob Coy, right? And I'm thinking, God chose Bob Coy to share his word and his message. Or you have Raul Reese. I tell you, man, Jesus loves you and died for you. And I'm like, are people getting that, Lord? Somehow, somehow, through these voices, God still speaks. 
And the wonderful thing is he can speak through you as well and desires to and, and wants to. You see, his sheep, they know it's not the pastor. The pastor is representing the true shepherd and the true pastor and the true ruler. His sheep know it's, it's his word that is really speaking to them. And so if you're his sheep, you can get past the teacher, the pastor, the speaker. You can get into the word and you can know his voice. And you can hear that still small voice when you don't have a, an absolute in a situation and you've got to make a decision. You have the principles of scripture and you have the Holy Spirit and you have the Lord whispering in your ear, go left or go right or don't go or do go. But in any case, Jesus came and he's identified here as a ruler. Now, if he's not your ruler, your shepherd, well, he will be your judge. And the amazing thing is, he lets you make the choice. If you read the book of Revelation, and I highly recommend it, even if you're not a Christian, read Revelation and understand that once you get past the first two, three chapters, you are looking at future history. You are looking at history in advance. And as you get into especially chapter six on, and the seals are broken and the trumpets blow and the vials are poured out. Hey, it is Jesus breaking the seals, pouring out his wrath on a Christ rejecting world. And he will either be your Lord your shepherd, or he will be your judge. The other thing that we're given here is the word shepherd, and I love that. He will shepherd my people Israel. John 10 identifies Jesus as the good shepherd. And Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, for his sheep. It's a past work, a done deal. Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for us. But there's a present work that he continues to do, and that's recorded for us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, where we're told the great shepherd is now maturing us and perfecting us and completing us, working in us, transforming us. So past the good shepherd, present the great shepherd, and then future, the chief shepherd. And I've got to read it to you because it applies not just to pastors and elders and teachers and such. It applies to all who shepherd God's flock, who watch over his sheep. Parents, that's you. Big brothers and sisters, that's you. Spiritually and physically. The elders who were among you, I exhort you, who am a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock." And when the chief shepherd appears, and here's the promise, see, the good shepherd, his work for us in the past, on the cross, suffering and dying, shedding his blood for our sins, the, the um, great shepherd working in us, transforming us, making us into someone more like him. Now the chief shepherd, when he appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is a wonderful picture, get it. We know that when we 
worship before him there in heaven. We will cast our crowns at his feet and we will sing you are worthy for you have redeemed us from every nation and kindred and tongue and people. You're worthy, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. But get this, get this. The chief shepherd is going to give us a crown that we can't cast off, a crown of glory. It it will be a symbol of the reality that we are in him and with him and a glory to him for eternity. So when people come and say, I am the Christ or I am God or I believe there are many Christ or I believe there are many roads and they will come and Jesus said they would. Here's what you say. Well, are you and can you prove you're the son of David? Are you and can you prove you're a son of Abraham? Are you, in fact, the only begotten Son of God? Are you the Christ, the only Savior? Are you Jesus? Are you Emmanuel, God with us? Are you the King of the Jews? Are you the ruler who leads and judges? Are you the good shepherd, the chief shepherd? Are you the the great shepherd? Listen, they are none of those. And when people come saying... All you got to do is say, let me, let me show you something. You don't even have to get past Matthew 1 and 2 because you have nine things now that you can say, look, these are absolute qualifications and we're not done. No, it gets even better. The birth of Christ, we read in verse 18, was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Betrothal? More than an engagement, less than our marriage. It was a year period where there was actually a legal contract between not just the couple, but the parents saying these two would be wed. Now, it wouldn't be to the wedding day and the consummation of the marriage that they were, well, married in the sense that we understand the word. But the betrothal was so serious that to break it, Well, it required a certificate of divorce. It was so serious that to commit immorality outside of it, well, it could lead to stoning. And so betrothed, well, it was a big thing in that day. And here's Joseph. He meets young Mary, loves Mary, most likely a gal of 15 or 16 years old, the common age for marriage in that day and in that culture. He's expecting to marry her sometime in the very near future. And the word comes that she is pregnant. Now we get a little bit about Joseph, something exceedingly important about Joseph. But but let's stop and contemplate for a moment what it says. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That word before, exceedingly important. Log it, we'll come back to it. Jesus, well, we know who he is and what that means now. But now we need to consider how he came and what that means. Jesus came miraculously. And what we mean by that is, well, the time of his birth was prophesied by Daniel. The place of his birth was prophesied by Micah. The manner of his birth was prophesied by Isaiah, saying, A virgin shall be with child. Now, 
Some have tried to get into an argument in this issue, and you may come across people that bring it up. That's why I share it with you. To say, well, the word in the Old Testament that was translated there in the Hebrew, translated virgin, can be young maiden. It doesn't have to mean virgin. And you need to know that because people use that argument to say, well, maybe Jesus wasn't virgin born. But when they translated the Old Testament into Greek some 200 years before Christ, in Greek, the common language of that day, they picked a word that could only mean virgin. What does that mean? That the Jews believed, Isaiah was telling us, that the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, that he would be virgin born. Well, not, not only did they believe it, that's what Isaiah was saying. That's why they believed it. It is these scriptures this story that is just part of the body of evidence that the Lord gave us to prove that Jesus Christ truly is who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God. When Jesus told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, we know we can rest in that. Join us next time as Pastor Sam completes his message, A Miraculous Birth. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you, and until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down at the Calvary Road. And your grace.